0: Good morning. As John said, my name is Mike Graham, and I'm one of your newer pastors here. I've had the opportunity to meet many of you, but there's still a lot of you I have yet to meet, so maybe this is our first introduction, so it's good to meet all of you. I may not remember your name next time we talk, um, but it's good to be here. As my family has transitioned here from Louisville, Kentucky, I want to let you know that you have done such a wonderful job making us feel loved and accepted and connected here. We were a little nervous about the move. The move was not easy for us, but you have made it a wonderful experience. So We just want to thank you. You've loved our kids well. You've loved us well. You've reached out to us, and we appreciate that. We moved here in July, and we've already celebrated Thanksgiving. My wife and I feel like we've just gotten here, and we've already moved all the way past Thanksgiving. And I also feel like we've just started our Joshua series, but here I am preaching our last, our last sermon in the Joshua series. Um, so as we have moved quickly through, I want to make sure as I look through the fireplace, I can see the table back there. We still have a bunch of these study guides, and I would love for you to grab one on the way out. If you have not grabbed one, I'd like you to. Uh, Today, as I preach on Joshua chapter 5, I am limited on how much I can share with you. That chapter is full of amazing things. This is a verse-by-verse study, but as Matt and I preach and others preach, we can't give you everything in there. This is an opportunity to go deeper. I hear there's a... A Christmas coming up soon. This would be a great present. You can just sneak into that bag or into that box as you give away presents. So grab one or grab a bunch. They're yours. Please take them. Life is marked by change. As we come to Joshua chapter 5, the people of Israel have gone through tremendous change. Not that long ago, Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And when they were in Egypt, they were treated terribly. For centuries, many, many generations of Israelites were in Egypt. God then moves and takes them out of Egypt through amazing acts of wonder. God displays his might, he displays his power, he displays his love as he redeems his people out of slavery. And he sets them on this journey to a land that he had promised their forefathers. And on this journey, they move from one place to the other, and they receive God's commandments. God reminds them that he is a holy lawgiver. God provides food to remind them them that he is a mighty provider. And they get to the edge of this land that God had promised them. And on the edge of that land, God has already shown how awesome, mighty, and powerful he is. But as they looked across the border, what they looked at were huge people, and fortified cities. And instead of being people full of faith, trusting that God was going to move, they became full of fear and doubt. And they looked at God and said, You can't do it. Surely we will perish. God's response to that generation of those people was judgment. Because you decided not to trust me, because you didn't believe in my might and my power, even though I displayed it to you clearly. You receive judgment, and they were turned back out into the wilderness, and they wandered the wilderness for 40 years, an entire generation died off in the process of that wandering. So every single day, multiple people would perish and die along the way as God led them back through the wilderness, a constant reminder of their need to grow in faith, the need to, re- the, need to the next time they have the opportunity to trust God, to believe His greatness, and take the land. So God has used 40 years of judgment to remind them and to prepare them. In fact, as we get here to Joshua chapter 5, God is preparing them for a huge transition and huge change. He's saying, I'm going to take you from being wanderers to being warriors. I'm going to have you lay down your walking stick and pick up a sword. For you and I, our lives are consistently marked by change. If someone were to get to know you and said, tell me a little bit about yourself, What you would probably do is you start describing to them the different phases of your life and changes you've been through i went to this school i met this person we got married we had kids i went to this job then i went to that job our life is marked by change if i wrote a book about your life the chapter headings would be the phases of life that you've been through your changes and your transitions those are hard things for me and my wife we sat down about 2 years ago with Matt friend and Sarah friend. And Matt looked at me and said, "Mike, I was just offered a job to be a pastor of Bible Center Church. And I want you to know, once I get settled in, I'm going to call you. I'm going to ask for you and your family to come join me and help me pastor this church." My wife and I looked at him and said, "There's no way we're coming. Don't make the phone call. Don't bother." Uh, my wife and I enjoyed our life. We enjoyed our jobs. We enjoyed our schools that our kids went through went to. We loved our home, we had this little circle of comfort, and we wanted to stay in that circle of comfort. I didn't live in the mountains. Um, I now live in the mountains. That doesn't seem like much to many of you. Many of you were born here and grown up here. I already had a fear of heights before I came here. Since I've been here, I've realized I have additional phobias. One is that I have this fear that I'm going to fall into a holler. I didn't even know what a holler was until I moved here, <laughs> But I'm really afraid of them. I have this belief and this fear that one day I'm going to be supposed to come here to preach or to teach or to lead something and I won't make it. And you won't find me for multiple months. I'll be at the bottom of a holler with my car turned over and no one will ever find me. What's even in the bottom of a holler? I don't know. So, so, anyway, so I have this phobia. I don't know what that exactly is called, but I have this fear that one day you will find me in the bottom of a holler because I slipped off the side of a road. So I'm more afraid of going down than going up high now. My, my world has changed. Um, so change has been difficult, and even my wife and I, as we thought through, how do we tell our children, okay, how do we tell our children that we're moving? You know, it's time to move out of our comfort, comf- comfortable circle. God had changed my heart. He said, I have more for you than what you're doing in Louisville. So as he transitioned me, we had, transitioned me, we had to transition my family. So our thought was, we'll take a weekend trip. We went to Cincinnati. We'll feed them a good meal. We'll let them order whatever they want, even soda. We don't do that. So this was kind of a big deal for us. So they ordered their soda. They ordered their cheeseburgers, huge plates of fries. We thought the cheeseburger and the soda should outweigh the fact that we're gonna be moving. So hopefully they're gonna be okay with handling that news. Well, that was a huge failure. Um, As we started to transition the conversation from how good is your burger to daddy's taking a job in West Virginia, and it means we're gonna be moving, it went from joy to everyone was weeping for about 20 minutes. And so there we were sitting in a nice restaurant in Cincinnati crying just about the thought of change. I'm sure the waitress thought we were getting a divorce or something. I mean, it looked really bad. I felt bad for my kids. I felt bad for myself. Not a very good parenting move. Probably should have been in you know, the quiet space of our own home to have that conversation. But to tell my children that everything you know, everything that you've grown up with, all your relationships are about to change, was super hard for me to tell them. And it was super hard for them to hear. That's all they ever knew. You know that spot in your house where you mark as your kids get older. Well, that's the house in Louisville for us. We had to transition out of that, and that was really hard. Life is marked by change, and change is hard. How do we prepare ourselves for that? In Joshua chapter 5, as we start to move towards talking about Joshua chapter 5, God prepares his people for change, and the words and the concepts and the things that he does to prepare their hearts and minds for change are the things that we need to hear to be prepared for changes in our life we have to be ready for what's coming next. When I was in high school, I was a cross-country runner. I was just a little skinny guy, ran cross-country, and on any cross-country course, you're going to come up to the same thing over and over again. Uh, You're going to come up to a spot where there's this hill in front of you. It could be in the woods, could be in a field, but you have to run over multiple hills. You can see the upslope of the hill as you approach, but what you can't see is what's on the other side. But As you get to the top of the hill, you realize there's a tree that's fallen over, there's a mudslide, there's gravel, there's roots, there's a sharp left-hand turn. All you can do as a runner is be prepared for whatever might be on the other side of that hill. Once you get there, you have to be ready physically, mentally, emotionally to handle whatever's coming at you. What do we need to do as brothers and sisters in Christ, as children of the King, to be ready for whatever change might be coming in our life? As you and I get to the top of that next hill in our life... It could be anything on the other side of that hill. It could be something wonderful. We went to Ohio for Thanksgiving, which is where we're originally from, and there's a new baby niece. She's three days old. It was so fun to see baby Riley. We thoroughly enjoyed that. That was a wonderful change to our family. But it also could have been a diagnosis that changes everything. It could have been spending time with our parents who are slowly Getting older. For some of you, you have ailing parents, and it is really hard to watch that change take place. For some of you, your job is about all you can handle. You're ready for a change. For some of you, it's a child who just is not being obedient, or an older child who's maybe wandered from the faith. There's so many hard things that we have to go through as life changes and transitions. How will God prepare us for that? Let's discuss that together. As you turn to John, Joshua chapter five, let me pray for us. Father, I ask as we open your word that you would make your word clear, that you would speak through your servant, that you would open hearts, that you would prepare us for what you have for us. You are an awesome and mighty God, and you display that so well in Joshua. So Lord, I pray that that would be communicated, that would be received, and that we would fall more and more in love with you. Father, thank you so much for your word and for this time. In Christ's name, amen. So as you open your Bible to Joshua chapter 5, what you'll notice at the top of the heading there of chapter five, if your Bible says the same thing as mine, it says Israel is circumcised. Now, if I'm the senior pastor and I wanna give the new guy a hard time, I'm gonna go ahead and go to the beach, which is where Pastor Matt is, and assign the circumcision passage to the new guy. So here I am, we get to talk about circumcision this morning. I'm not not kidding, that's the passage we're doing. Um, But just to make you feel better, I'm not gonna go into any detail about what circumcision is. I'm going to go ahead and let you guys have that discussion in your car on the way to lunch today. You're welcome. So you guys can talk about the details. What I'm going to focus on is the fact that circumcision is a sign and a symbol that the people of Israel needed to receive and needed to hear. The people of Israel at this point had not received circumcision. Circumcision was like the marker to communicate to God's people and to the world that you are mine, that you are my people. By receiving this sign and symbol, it connects the people of Israel to a couple of things that they needed to remember if they were going to be ready to take the promised land. One, circumcision connects them to their heritage. This was something that was started with Abraham and then Isaac, and then Jacob. So receiving this sign and symbol connects them to the reality that these are our forefathers. God was faithful to Abraham. He was faithful to Isaac. He was faithful to Jacob. We are a part of a people who God has been faithful to all along. They need to hear that. Also, circumcision reminds them that this is a covenant relationship between them and the Lord. To say a covenant relationship means that God has committed himself to these people. It's almost like a contract. Where a husband and a wife have a marriage covenant, God has a covenant with these people. This symbol reminds them of this covenant. It also reminds them of the promises that God has made to his people. One of those promises that God made to Abraham was that you will be a great and mighty nation. And indeed, Israel was. God was faithful. God kept that promise. Another promise that God made is that I will give you a land that you can call your own. It will be a land flowing with milk and honey. It will be a land where you can worship me as your God in peace. And here is Israel now on the edge of the promised land. They needed to hear that. They need to hear God say, you are mine. I've been faithful to your forefathers. I will be faithful to you. I have a covenant relationship with you. And the promises that I made, I will see them through. They need to hear those things. So as they came to the edge of the promised land, their response would not be fear and doubt, but faith and trust, that their eyes would be set on a mighty God, not on big people, that their eyes would be set on a God who's faithful, not on the big fortified cities, so that faith would be what was in their heart, not fear. This morning, if you're here, and you're not sure if you have a relationship with God, I want you to know that you can place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, and all those promises can be yours. God has been faithful to his people from way back then all the way up to Joshua and then all the way up to today our God is a faithful God with incredible promises. If you place your faith in Jesus, his promises: I will give you my Holy Spirit, and I will keep you until I see you face to face in heaven. That is an opportunity that you have a decision that you can make. If it's a decision you would like to make today, so that those promises are yours, you can come see me afterwards or anyone you've seen on stage. We'd love to share with you how to make that decision, how to start that relationship with a God who loves you so much. So those words are words that we need to hear. We need to be reminded, you are mine. If you know Jesus Christ, you are his. He loves you. His promises are for you. As changes arise, as you come to the top of that hill and you look over, and it looks terrible, tragic. It appears that suffering is in your future. It's good to know that you are the Lord's, and that he deeply and profoundly loves you. As we go a little further into the chapter, we get to verse verse 9. It says, and the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal means to roll. So it says, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. In other translations, it would say, I've rolled away the shame of Egypt from you, or I've rolled away the disgrace of of Egypt from you. The New Living Translation will go on to say, I've rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt from you. For generations, Israel was confined to Egypt. Egypt would not let them go. They were slaves for generations and generations and generations. They were there for over 370 years. The United States is only 240 years old. So much has happened in the history of the United States. There's an even longer history for Israel just being slaves, being beaten, being whipped, being told that they're worth nothing. There's a good chance that you and I treat our pets better than the Israelites were treated under the harsh and strong hand of Egypt. Okay? So they were going through very, very difficult times. And what happens is when you're enslaved that way and you're treated that way and you're talked to that way for a long, long, long time, you begin to believe that that is your identity, You believe that's who you truly are. So the words that Israel needed to hear before they went into the promised land is that you are no longer identified as slaves. That's not who you are. Rather, I, the Lord your God, give you a new identity. I roll away the shame. I roll away the disgrace. The reproach of Egypt, the stink of Egypt is now gone. I have cleansed you. You are not slaves being mistreated You are the people of God. The mighty God of the universe has a covenant relationship with you, and that is your truest identity. So as the taskmasters had to put down their whips, and the people of God now put down their walking sticks, they need to be ready now to draw a sword and be prepared for battle. They are now warriors. They're not slaves. They're not wanderers. They are now God's warriors being prepared to take God's land for them. You and I, All of us have gone through periods of our life where we've made choices, where there's some guilt and there's some shame from those choices. It could be something that you've done. It could be a relationship you messed up. It could be something you said to someone else that you still are a little ashamed of. It could be an actual physical thing that you did to someone or to something that you still think about all the time and it bothers you. It shapes the way you view yourself. There could also be words that were spoken to you as a child, as a teenager, and even now that shapes your identity. As parents, it's so easy to say things that shame our children. And you, when you were a child, you may have heard things like, If only you were as athletic as the neighbor boy. If only you were as smart as your brother. If only you were as pretty as your sister. Or, I wish you would have done that better. I think you can do better. Or, you sure you need that next piece of cake? Don't you need to watch your weight a little bit? Over time, we hear words like that throughout our life. And it's very easy between the things that we've done and the words that we've heard to have those be the things that shape the way we view ourselves. Those elements of shame become the way we view ourselves and view how we're going to handle the world in front of us. The Lord's words to Joshua and to Israel was, you have been cleansed from those things. Your shame has been rolled away. The reproach is gone. Jesus says that same thing to us. He looks at us and says, your guilt, your sin, your shame, it's been rolled away. It's been cleansed. If you place your faith in me, you are now a new creation. The old is truly gone. The new has truly come. The guilt, the shame, the sin has been placed on the cross. You no longer have to bear it. It no longer has to be a part of your identity. It is gone. Jesus covered it. It no longer identifies you or shapes you. Jesus shapes you. He says you are a new creation. You are a beloved child of the King. That is who you are. So we need to know those things. You are mine. We need to know that we are identified and shaped by our Lord Jesus Christ. As we go to verse 10, the Lord has more for his people and he has more for us. In verse 10 it says, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. So this was a generation that had not been circumcised. This is also a generation that probably has not celebrated the Passover. The Passover was a significant feast. I mean, it was as big or bigger to them than Thanksgiving is to you and me. It was huge. What it signified was the fact that God, God Almighty, went and performed great miracles for them in Egypt to get them out of Egypt so they could come and worship Him. The Pharaoh, no matter how many plagues it seemed like God was throwing at Egypt, he kept saying, I will not let these people go. I will not let the Israelites go. Finally, The Lord decides this last plague will be the one that works. He decides that he's going to kill the firstborn in every household in all of Egypt. And the only way for Israel to avoid this plague, to avoid this judgment, is to put the blood of a lamb across the doorposts, and the angel of death would pass over the Israelites as he entered into the homes of the Egyptians. So the morning after the Passover, the Israelites wake up, a sigh of relief, everything's okay but as the rest of the world around them, as Egypt woke up, there were tears, there was mourning, there was wailing, there was pain, as the firstborn in every household in Egypt died as a judgment, as a plague from the Lord. And now, Egypt says, the Pharaoh says, go, leave, go worship your God, and they leave. The Passover was a reminder to them that God would do whatever was necessary to redeem, to save his people. God was not going to sit by and let them continue to be enslaved. God would do whatever it was necessary to make sure that his people were pulled out of slavery. The word redeemed means to be pulled out of slavery and set free. God was mighty to save, mighty to redeem. He was willing to let the firstborn in every household of Egypt perish to make that so. Jesus God Almighty, the Son of God, took on flesh and died on a cross and went through incredible pain and agony to be able to say the same thing to you, to be able to display the same thing to you. God will do whatever is necessary to fully and completely save his people. Jesus is willing to spread his arms and die on a cross so that you can be fully and completely saved. He demonstrates how much he loves you and how powerful he is and how committed he is to you by the work of the beautiful cross. These are words that we need to hear as change is coming as our way, as suffering comes into our life, as tragedy is set before us. How do we handle it? Well, without remembering Jesus and his work, we handle it with fear, with doubt, with trepidation. But when we remember that we are his, that he shapes our identity, and that he redeems us with a mighty hand, we approach the situation with faith. And when God redeemed his people, when the people celebrated the Passover feast, they wouldn't go and grab a plate of food, take a chair, put it in the corner, sit in the corner, eat their food, and just by themselves think about how great God was, right? It was a feast. They celebrated with their family and with extended family. God's design, God's intention was to redeem you into a family. As you look around, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ— I was brought here to help facilitate growth as God's people, to help you get interconnected with one another. Okay? That's why I'm in charge of groups. That's kind of how we handle helping you grow as family here at Bible Center Church. A healthy church statistically has about 70 to 75% of their people involved with a group. That way, a church that's healthy knows that their people are interlocked with one another, that someone knows how you're doing spiritually. And you know how the people around you are doing spiritually. That's a really healthy, solid place to be. God reminds his people through the Passover feast that he's redeemed them into a family. bible Center church doesn't have 70 to 75% of their people involved with groups. We have about 20 to 25% of our people involved with groups. We need to grow as family at Bible Center. My strong encouragement to you is if you are not connected to a group in some form or fashion, that you would consider stepping out in faith and getting involved with the group right now we don't have small groups meeting all over the city because they kind of shut down during the holidays but starting in mid-january you will know on the website the app and we'll hand you literature to know how to jump into a small group between now and then if you notice in your sermon notes i listed for you all the different groups that we offer on sunday mornings this might be a great place for you to start you'll notice that there's different ages on those groups I do not have a hard permanent marker line in between those groups. You go wherever you feel connected. You go wherever you feel like as family, and you enjoy those groups. If you're 45 or older and single, we even have something coming up for you. We have a, like a social coming up on December 15th. If you'd like to come to that, we'd love to have you. We want there to be a place for everyone to connect deeply and to enjoy spiritual family. God's designed us to function that way. So Joshua, in Joshua chapter 5, God's given them multiple things to prep their hearts to conquer the promised land. But he's not done yet. He has one more thing. Let's go to chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, and see how else God prepares his people for war. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, Are you for us, or are you for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped, and said to him, Why does my Lord say to his ser- What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Who is this? Who just showed up on the scene? Who's this warrior who's about to help them go to battle? Well, there is consensus. The first thing that we see is that Joshua actually goes into a position of worship, and he's not corrected. This, this person, this, this warrior, receives his worship. There's only one who can receive worship, and that's the Lord God Almighty. But do we get any more detail about who this is? A little bit farther in that passage, he's told to take his sandals off, for the ground where he's standing is considered holy. It reminds us of the burning bush. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses approaches the burning bush, and the Lord shows up. He says, I am. I am the great I am. And by the way, Moses, take off your sandals, for this ground is holy. So certainly, this is the Lord. But can we get any more detail than that? In John chapter 1, verse 18... The first time I read this, this verse kind of freaked me out. I didn't know what to do with it. It starts this way. It says, No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. Well, that's true, what do we do with this Joshua chapter 5 passage? What do we do with all the instances throughout the Old Testament where it seems that God has shown up on the scene? How do we explain that? How do we understand that if no one has ever seen God? But the rest of that verse explains how we understand this. It says, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the fact that Jesus has come as the mediator between God and man. He's the one who steps into place and explains and describes to us who the Father really is, what he's like, what are his words, what are his deeds, how much does he truly love us? Jesus describes that, explains that, and embodies that for us. He's the mediator between God and man. That didn't just start on Christmas morning. Jesus has always been the mediator between God and man. Throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, every time you see the Lord show up on the scene, that's Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 18, no one's really seen the Father, but they've seen Jesus, who's always revealing the Father, mediating for this Father, describing the Father, communicating the Father to his people. Where else have we seen this happen? Well, in Genesis Genesis 3, verse 8, there's that little section where you see the Lord is walking in the cool of the garden, who was that? That was Jesus. There's also a point outside of Abraham's little house where the angel of the Lord and two others meet with him and have a, have a dinner. And over that meal, they explain to him that you are going to have a child. This is where Sarah laughs and Abraham's kind of overwhelmed. Who was that? That was Jesus having that conversation with Abraham. We also see that there's a point where Jacob gets into a wrestling match has a great picture of the wrestling match. We didn't have an actual picture of that, but this is the closest we could find. Um, but who was he wrestling with? Well, it was Jesus, pre-incarnate. We also see Jesus showed up in the burning bush with Moses. Who was Moses talking to? He was having a conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ at that moment in Exodus chapter 3. We're also told in Exodus chapters 13 and 14, that the Lord himself was in the cloud and in the pillar of fire that was leading the people of Israel through the wilderness. He was actually in those things. So who was in those things? Jesus was in those things. What we're starting to get here, what we're starting to understand by seeing this, is that the Lord was never not with them. The Lord's presence was always there. God never had forsaken his people. There's times when they probably wondered when they were being enslaved, when they were being beaten, when they were wandering, watching everyone die, is God with us, is God for us, is he even aware? But what we see throughout the entirety of the Old Testament is that Jesus, from the Garden of Eden up to this point, has never left the side of his people. He is always there, showing up on the scene as necessary, as needed, to make sure that his people are being taken care of and moving forward to receive the promises that God had made a commitment that he would give to his people. The Lord was always there. Even today, in your life, if you've placed your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Lord is always there, doing whatever is necessary to take care of you, his child. There are times when we need Jesus out in front of us with the sword drawn, ready to do battle to take care of us. We need Jesus to be a valiant warrior. There's other times we need Jesus to be behind us In John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep by name. They know me. They know my voice. Jesus has an intimate relationship with us, his people. He is a shepherd who cares and comforts and makes sure that no one is lost, that no one wanders too far from the fold. Sometimes we need Jesus to be our shepherd and to stand behind us and to take care of us. So whether he has a sword drawn or he has a shepherd's staff in his hand, Or if he has a spear in his side and nails in his wrists and a crown of thorns on his head, Jesus is there to provide all of our needs. He's a valiant warrior, he's a good shepherd, and he is a mighty Savior, doing all this necessary, all this needed to make sure he's taking care of his people. He's ever-present around us because we are his children. He is our amazing, wonderful, beautiful, ever-present God. And to understand that he's always present with us, it changes everything. So as we approach that hill and we can't see what's on the other side, we're starting to climb the hill, we get to the top and we see that there's something hard going on. Because I know God's presence is with me, everything has been changed. My, percep- my perspective My purpose, my passion, everything has been changed. I can now see what's ahead of me, no matter how difficult it is. And fear and doubt don't get to take hold. Faith takes hold. I know this looks hard, but I know my God is before me. I know my God is behind me. I know my God is with me, and he's mighty to save. No matter how big that obstacle is, no matter how deep that suffering may be, I know that the Lord is with me, and I can handle it because his presence changes everything. The Lord is clear. I am never alone. I will never be alone, and I am presently not alone. God is with us at all times. God has prepared his people to take the land, to go from being wanderers to being warriors. And the same words that they needed to hear, we so often need to hear. God looks at us and says, I am with you, beloved child. I am with you. The world does not get to shape your identity. I shape your identity. You are a new creation because I have made you new. The old is truly, truly gone I have redeemed you. Whatever was necessary to do, I did it to redeem you, to pull you out of slavery so that you might be mine. Set apart for me, and I've given you a beautiful, amazing family to link arms with, to go forward into whatever is in front of you, child. I am prepared to take care of you. And then he reminds us, I am ever, ever, always with you. And that reality changes everything. You are never, ever alone. Let's pray together that God really puts that deep into our hearts and that we're ready for whatever's coming next. God, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you so much that you are who you are and you've done what you've done. We love you, Lord. May these words reside deep within our heart. Allow us to be people of faith, driven by faith, driven by a knowledge of you, and never overwhelmed with fear or doubt of what's in front of us. We trust you, Lord. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this family. In Christ's name, amen.